0: Hello and welcome. Is your business your mission and your mission your business? If yes, you found your tribe. Whether you feel like it or not, you are avant-garde, going your own way, making your own path, doing it like no one has done before. And the answers to the challenges you're facing aren't in a book. My friend, you are not alone. This is the Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Trisha Bailey, a mission minded serial entrepreneur and traveler. My purpose on this earth is to use my authenticity and passion to equip and empower social entrepreneurs to live in their highest calling, feeling freedom, fulfillment, and security, and inspiring others to do the same. Join me for stories, tips, and tricks for taking avant garde inspired action in your business so that you feel encouraged, equipped, empowered, and unstoppable. I believe it doesn't have to be hard to be right. Welcome to episode 28 of Avant-Garde Entrepreneur. I am so glad you're here today with me, my friend. This is part two of my conversation with John Guywitz, business broker and senior advisor with Transworld Business Advisors. He's a specialist in business financials and planning for your business for now and for the future. If you've not listened to episode 27, be sure to go and catch that so you can hear a little of the background on John. Just a short version, I met him several years ago because of mutual clients and his type of care, his relationships with people and his knowledge has led him to be number one in his company in the entire world. We all like working with the best, don't we? And often garde Entrepreneur Foundations, you know, we distinguish five pillars of successful social enterprise. So if you were to go through the program, you'd experience this. There's you, your team, your social mission, your business enterprise, and most importantly, your spirit or your relationship with your higher power. While each of these modules gives you clarity on unique aspects. Of your social enterprise, there are a few areas in which everyone wants a little extra support, especially in the business enterprise module. Even seasoned social entrepreneurs who have been to fancy business schools all want to learn how to run the financial side, the business enterprise side of their social enterprise better. So, John is graciously sharing his knowledge. And experience to open our eyes and give us wisdom to approach the financial side of our social enterprise in a whole new way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy part two of our conversation with John Guywitz, business broker and senior advisor. Let's say someone has their books structured in a certain way. So, kind of going along to the people who are, they've already gotten started. You mentioned that they could read restructure it. Can you kind of give an example of a situation, even if it's not a social enterprise, but maybe an example of a business where let's say they've structured their books one way and then they get to this point and they realize that they need to make an adjustment. And how does that work?
1: Well, the books can be rebuilt for sure. And most common examples you're going to see is, all right, so let's say you provide a service. Well, when you provide a service, what do you have as far as cost of goods sold? So that's always one of those things. That, by the way, is money flowing out for whatever product it is or service that you're providing. So it's super important to understand that cost of goods sold could actually be labor. Let's say you have a a cleaning company. Well, your cost of good sold seem really obvious, right? Seems like, well, you're going to have cleaners and mops and rags and other things that you'd use to clean homes or buildings with, right? But your real cost is the people that are doing the cleaning. So what you'll see is uh, people accidentally were miscategorizing those things. That's not a big deal. You simply have to get some help and start categorizing those things properly as soon as you possibly can.
0: That's a great example. I can see how that would apply to a lot of people because, especially, I think in any business, but especially within the social enterprise, for people who start, whether they start with a great business idea and they realize that it could be tweaked a little bit, or whether they're more focused on the group and they try one business model and they realize, oh, we can make some adjustments here. And maybe shift. I can see how a lot of social enterprises change a lot from what they started because of this dual focus on, it's not just about the profit. If it wasn't for the people, they wouldn't be there. And so that's encouraging that it's easy enough to make adjustments on your financial statements. Sure. Is it possible, let's say someone's got their books in order, they've got their income statement and their balance sheet and their cash flow statement and their shareholder equity, all that stuff. Is it possible for someone to think they're profitable because they've got money coming into their bank, but they're really not?
1: But not only is it possible, it's, it's very common the case. It's a very common scenario. When that's why it's so important to understand your financial statements from the very beginning. I see people very regularly thinking that they're they're charging enough for their product or service, but they're not. There could be lost leaders built in to acquire that customer. A lot of people end up doing that and then they forget that. well, So I lost money to acquire the customer. Now that I have the customer, <laughs> I need to make that money back. Right, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what type of business it is, what type of enterprise it is. If it's not making money in the end, it's not sustainable.
0: Mm, yes. What What is the response when people find out? Does this happen with you when you're working with with sellers? Sometimes. Yes. What is, uh, what is the response?
1: Sure. Yeah, they're, they're surprised uh, when yeah. I analyze their their financials and go back and say. So what happens in this year? So we oftentimes we'll compare one year to another and typically we want to look at three, three years at least mm-hmm. and look for the inconsistencies. And I find myself in a position where I'm going back explaining to my customer, the seller, who's run running his business, his or her business, that what happens. And they'll scratch their heads and usually come back and after doing a little bit of research and go, oh, we forgot all about that. That's why it's your roadmap. It is exactly what you need to be looking at every day to know where you are, where you are at, and where you are going.
0: So your financial statements are kind of like your roadmap.
1: Absolutely. That's exactly what it is.
0: There's this saying we use, it's begin with the end in mind. And I think that that is really powerful when it comes to business, and especially social enterprise. Because social enterprise, a lot of times we don't think about the end. (laughs) So when we talk about beginning with the end in mind in terms of of business, what does that mean?
1: Well, I think it means different things to different people, right? Mm -hmm. So a social entrepreneur is really out there with the end result to be helping people, right? Right. That's really, when it comes down to it, that it's one way or the other. That is the goal, right? That's the end or the primary objective is to help people. Well, the only way you can help people is if you can sustainably continue to do that, to, to keep things moving in a positive direction. So the keeping the end in mind can be very difficult for people. And I work with a lot of younger people, too that own businesses, that are using me as a consultant for way down the road. As you mentioned earlier, Trisha, I like to work with people long before they're ready to exit. I think it's really important to always start with the mindset of what if I were buying this business from somebody instead of owning it? Put yourself in the, instead of the necessarily the seller's mind, but think about what, if you were a buyer, what would be, troublesome to you, right? Some really, really common things that we'll see. And I'm sure your listeners have experienced is could be customer concentration, right? It could be, okay, 90% of your income comes from this one customer. Well, what happens if that goes away? All right. So to a buyer of your business, again, whether it's 10 or 20 years from now, if you're thinking like that, you're also protecting yourself because when you start thinking about it like that, it's like, well, you know what? I need to diversify a little bit more, love this big customer, want to keep this big customer, but how do I make them 50% of my of my number instead of 90% of my number? Mm-hmm. So that kind of mindset is what, what I think of when we're thinking about the end in mind.
0: I love the idea of thinking like a buyer all the time because it seems like if you think like a buyer, then you're going to... You're going to look at things from a different perspective. You're going to see where the messes are a lot sooner. With social entrepreneurs, especially one of the things I see, I kind of talked about that in the intro is that we just start building piece by piece and it is, you know, it's in our heart and we think we're never, ever, ever going to give it up or get out of the business. One of the things I see is that a lot of times, first of all, some of the reasons are it's too hard to delegate. Because we feel like, well, especially whenever you start building something and doing something, you get to this point where there's so much stuff that's in your head that you just, it's just too hard to even delegate. I think sometimes if people are working in a different country, it can be, there can be a challenge with working with the locals. For example, if it's expat who sets up a social enterprise. And then also, I think too, sometimes people just run out of steam. And then they don't have a successor or there could even be an accident, you know, let's say. So what do you say to people who, whenever you think about how social entrepreneurs are that are in it just for, you know, the heart, how would you guide them as far as giving them advice on the value of having a plan in place for business continuity, having a succession plan, that kind of thing?
1: Well, I think it kind of comes down to the going back to sustainability, right? So you've invested not just a lot more than money with what what you guys do. You've invested yourselves in this, and your legacy is going to either – we don't want that legacy to to pass when you leave, when you're done. That's unlikely your listener's end goal. So thinking about it, whether or not it's more important – To be concerned about the bottom line, the dollars that it's making, but more about what service it's providing and how it's lifting other people up in the world is super important to understand that the more your business or your enterprise is about you specifically, the goal would be to get it to where, what happens if you didn't show up? Would it continue on? What happens if you... I know it's crazy, guys, but what would happen if you decided to take a vacation and actually take some time for you instead of just investing all of your time to help others or even a sabbatical, a longer vacation? Thinking about it from that point of view is very important. And and if you you spend some time doing that and delegate and make the business, your enterprise, less focused around you specifically – not only will it survive things that are inevitably going to happen, it will also be more profitable, more valuable down the road.
0: That's really insightful because I think everyone listening can agree how difficult it is even to just take a vacation or take a little break. We I talked about this, I think in the last episode, maybe it was 20 episode 23 that for universal truths about stepping away from your business, it's so hard to do. But if you, but it is necessary. And if we think about succession planning, even if it's not in the context of something happening bad to you for there being an accident, or you running out of steam without a successor, it is wise on so many counts to have have some sort of succession plan in place. Have, I guess you might say, making it about the systems versus the Social entrepreneur. How does one think about that?
1: It's part of kind of going back to the accounting side of things. From an operational point of view, the accounting is just one piece of the puzzle. The systems and operational, I use those words interchangeably, by the way, the systems that you have in place, so many business owners don't even realize they have a system. They're just doing, they're running it. We have a common term here in the United States by the seat of their pants. That's the mistake. Instead of running your business that way, what you really need to be doing is sitting down and plotting your day. What, where do you spend your time? What's the best use of your time? Your time's extremely valuable. So when you systemize things, you tend to figure out, okay, instead of me spending the majority of my time doing this, I can have somebody else do that that's much, maybe even more effective at it. It's their, it's more their skill set than yours. That's important for a business owner to recognize. Any leader in the world, you'll find one of the best attributes that they have is the ability to recognize, hey, I'm really good at this. I'm not so good at this. I'm going to delegate this off to somebody that is better at it than I am. And a lot of times what you'll also find there is that by getting it to that person that's better at it than you, it's gonna cost you a lot less. Mm-hmm. Not just in time, but also in money. So that's what I mean when we're talking about systems mm-hmm. or operations.
0: And that kind of goes back to making the business less reliable on the leader, talking yes. about putting systems in place, delegating. So from what you know about social entrepreneurs, because you're you're privy to a privy to a lot as far as what they deal with, um, because we talk about the challenges that people are dealing with and how to help them work through them in social enterprise, you know, people are just as important as profit. Should social enterprise leaders, should they handle their business, the business enterprise part of their lives, any different than traditional full on for-profit business owners?
1: That's a great question. So you know, it also gets political in most, I think just about everywhere in the world this, this happens. Is a church or a place of worship a business? The answer is yes. It has expenses. If it doesn't have income, it can't continue to operate. That, to me, is the very definition of a business. If it requires funds to come in in order to pay to fund for the expenses, then you have an income statement. You have, you have a profit and loss statement. So I'm just using that as one example. But a place of worship there, their objective is not to make money, but their objective is to lift people up and bring people the word. So when you think about it like that, when it really comes down to it, and by the way, you'll see this in very successful houses of worship. The ones that run it like a business and have the financials and the operations in place are the ones that are the most successful or most effective at touching people and bringing more people into their objectives. So, I think the answer to that, Trish, is yes. You need to run it like it's a business, whether it's about the bottom line and how much money it's making, it has to be sustainable. So, what it's making at the end of the day, as long as it's positive or neutral, at least, and not negative, then you know you're sustainable. But it is, again, going back to the word, it is a roadmap. If you don't know what the bottom line is of your effort, then you're making a mistake.
0: Yeah, I think most people really, at their core, they want to have a sustainable, viable social enterprise where they can have a little bit of life for themselves, too. And a lot of people, especially if they start on the kind of the more nonprofit end of the spectrum, they might actually feel guilty about making, making money. But it sounds like what you're saying kind of frees us all up that we have to make money. We have to have our financial house in order so that we can help more people long-term.
1: Absolutely. Again, it comes down to if you're not, if you're not managing the basics, you won't even necessarily know when, you're, when you've are when you run aground. It goes back to just recapping some of these things. It's, it's so important to understand what's going on with the finances and with the operations of the business in order to be sustainable.
0: So when it comes to making financial decisions, because obviously you see how a lot of people make them, how would you say that successful business owners, how much of the decision-making process for them is kind of Spirit-based or intuition-based versus just, to use the term, going by the seat of your pants? How important is it to be tapped into your spirit whenever it comes to making business decisions?
1: I think it's, a, it's incredibly important. It's one of the most important things to learn in being a business owner or a leader is how to make good decisions with the information you have at the time. That's an extremely important saying or phrase. With the information I have at this time, I'm going to make this decision. What I find so many owners and leaders end up doing is becoming paralyzed because they're waiting for more information before they make the decision. Business owners and leaders cannot do that. You can't do it for very long without getting in trouble.
0: Want to know how you can use your natural skills, personality, and talent to create the social enterprise of your dreams? Find out how to design a life-giving, sustainable, scalable impact business based on your social entrepreneur style with my What's Your Social Entrepreneur Style quiz. Whether you're dreaming of starting an impact business, already have a social enterprise it's not as much fun as it used to be, or you have loads of experience and you want to make it better. I created a free 10 question quiz to help you gain more clarity about yourself and how to build or refine your social enterprise, not only to fit your style, but to find others who complement your style. Not only that, but with this newfound knowledge, you'll feel empowered to enhance your process instead of just focus on the results, which let's face it, can take a while. To discover your social entrepreneur style, go to trishabaileyphd.com and take two minutes to answer 10 really fun questions about yourself and your business. You'll immediately find out whether you're a passionate go-getter, meticulous analyst, supportive mediator, or enthusiastic influencer. Then I'll send goodies and guidance to your inbox specifically curated for your unique style. You'll also get this super fun, this is me graphic that you can share on social that shows your style and your strengths. Talk about free, easy, and non-sleazy self-promo. Again, that's trishabayleyphd.com to find out your social entrepreneur style with my fun, fast, and free quiz. Would you say business owners, when you talk about you... We don't want to get analysis paralysis, but would you say that more successful business owners kind of sleep on things, so to speak, overnight or give it a rest? Or would you say the more successful ones just kind of jump at this, jump at opportunities?
1: The most successful people that I know, and I've known quite a few of them, we've been blessed to have exposure to a lot of very successful people, have have a rule and it's different for everybody. They have a, a financial threshold. In other words, if it's a dollar-making decision, in other words, it's I'm gonna have to invest this amount of money to make to, to, to do this task. If they set a limit for decisions that can be made by them or other people within their, their organization, and if it's above that amount, and again, it's different for different people and different size organizations. The requirement is to sleep on it. You'll never make a decision. We're human beings. We never make good decisions rushed. And most of the time, if you're being rushed into making a decision, about 90% of the time, in my opinion, that's your sign. I don't believe you should ever be rushed into making a decision. If you can't sleep on it and get back to somebody the next day, that is, in my opinion, a bad sign. Mm.
0: I like that. That frees us up a lot too. If you feel rushed, that's probably not right for you, at least not right now. Correct. A lot of times people feel like they've got to have a lot of education to be able to make decisions or to be able to be a good business owner. Would you say that having a university or a college degree is required to be successful in business?
1: Another great question, Trisha. The truth of the matter is, some of the most innovative people and creative people never earned a college degree. So in my opinion, it's a myth. Getting a degree or getting an education will help, but that's, in my opinion, a very small part of the equation that makes you you.
0: Thank you for that. Great advice. Well, speaking of education, what are you reading or listening to? I know that that you're constantly improving as most businesses are, business leaders are. What are you reading or listening to these days? Or how do you fill your fill your tank?
1: I'm incredibly boring, Tricia. I have some fundamental things, fundamental people that I listen to or read, mm-hmm. much rather listen because I can do other things at the same time. But I find that one of the best things that I can do for myself is to fill my tank spiritually. And so, of course, as you know, Graham Cook is one of my very favorites because he, you know, one of his original series was called The Art of Thinking Brilliantly. And if you haven't read it or if you haven't listened to it, I think it's only available, honestly, via audio. You should listen to that, especially as a business owner or a leader, because there really is an art to thinking brilliantly. And then my other favorite one is something that most people may not have heard of. But especially if you're kind of young in the business world, there is a great book and other series of books written by Michael Gerber. And it started with what's called the E-Myth. I probably read it the first time 25 years ago. And I still find myself referring to it probably on a weekly basis. It's that powerful. And the E-Myth stands for the entrepreneurial myth. And I'm not going to blow it for you guys. I'm not going to blow it for the listeners, but it really has to do with – I'll give you one quick example. Is the automobile mechanic the right person to fix the automobile and the right person to run the business of – that is an automobile mechanic shop? The answer is no. Those are two – and it goes back to the operations kind of – some of the things we were talking about earlier, about understanding – what you're good at and what you're not necessarily good at in delegating. The answer to that is no. That's where the email comes from. It comes from the person that's underneath that car, greasy and hot all day long, becoming resentful of the owner who's collecting all the money for these services and decides, I'm done. I'm done. You know what? I'm going to open a mechanic shop. I'm going to do this myself. And the average is that 70% of them fell in the first year. Mm. So the mechanic, you can apply this to anything. But it's not just automobiles. That is one of the things that I, I, I think is super important, especially if you're a little bit younger, as I said, in, in, your, in starting your business. And then, of course, there's always the good old Jack Canfield, the success principles and all of his wonderful books. And, and uh, well, I think he does a lot of audio stuff, but, it, but usually it is also a written format, too. From the Aladdin Factor, which is the really the art of asking for what you want, is a fantastic book. And I find myself going back to that, between that and the success principles that Jack Canfield wrote, that's super important for any business owner or leader to, to understand and, and listen to
0: We'll link to those in the show notes. That's really helpful because a lot of times people feel like they need to read things, but they don't know what to read and what to spend their time on. So those are four great resources that we'll link to in the show notes. Sure. So, John, we've taken up a lot of your time, but I got to ask you one more question. What is your process? How does someone get started with you? And I'm asking this in the context, so if people can find a business advisor, whether it's Transworld, that's in their country, or even if they wanted to email you, how does someone go about getting started with a business broker like you?
1: Well, just communicate with me, reach out to me, email is probably the best and I'm sure you'll put a link in there, Tricia, so that people can do that. And I will actually share some guides with you, some of the processes that I've used over the years or created over the years on what the process looks like, some of the things you need to be asking yourself, and that a business, a good business advisor is going to ask you when you're trying to prepare your business to be sold. Or, you know, I want to add this real quick because I think it's super important. Don't necessarily need to think about it as selling. What, what if that was best for your enterprise to find somebody that would invest in it? So that term gets misused or misunderstood a lot. Mm-hmm. When somebody invests in an enterprise or a business, they are buying your business. They're buying a part of it. So the, you mentioned it earlier that uh, I have the initials, the acronym in my, in my profession, M&A, mergers and acquisitions. So keep that in mind. Your listeners should keep in mind that you're not necessarily just thinking about exiting and selling, think about what would happen if you could bring somebody on or another business on and merge Mm -hmm. that would be able to help you achieve your end goal faster and with with a lot more amplitude. There's many, many different ways to think about a business being sold. It can be one share or 100% of the shares. Mm
0: -hmm. That's a great way to think of it. And that's a lot more fun, I think, for social entrepreneurs as well, to think about it as in terms not of selling or not being around, but about growing and investing and, you know, having investors come in in a different way. And that being the reason why you are mindful of your business roadmap and you have your systems in place. So absolutely. Well, we will link to John's email in the show notes as well as his website. He's got a great blog. It's called The Seller's Journal. So you can sign up there. It's on his website. Um, It'll have a pop-up that shows up as well as connecting with John on LinkedIn. John, thank you so much for being here. You have certainly, I think, freed us up from a lot of things, a lot of myths and that we might have been thinking were true and they weren't and opened our eyes to the things that we can do, little steps that we can take to make a huge difference in the viability of our social enterprise long term.
1: My pleasure, Tristan. I'm honored.
0: We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Avant-Garde Entrepreneur. I hope you feel encouraged, equipped, empowered, and unstoppable. If you enjoyed what you heard, share it with a friend. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it here on your podcast player. Questions, comments, or feedback? Connect with me directly at trishabayleyphd.com or on social at trishabayleyphd. Now, you go and get back to making the world a better place. I'll see you back here soon.